From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bella, one time on Friday. participating in McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. Witness Docs from Stitcher. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed, prepared, and calm. We are all in this together, my friends. Our guest today is the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fauci. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Are we on the right track in this country, or is the worst yet ahead? Well, you know, this is a big, complicated issue. Uh, We've been through an awful lot. As you know, we have an unprecedented impact on us with a couple of million infections and now uh, about 115,000 deaths. So the outbreak is still ongoing. I think you just need to look at the number of new cases each day. We still are hovering around 20,000 per day. So we still are in the middle of a pandemic, as is the rest of the world. We have had situations such as in the New York metropolitan area, which got hit very badly, but they have now gone down dramatically. So the bad news is that we've been hit very hard. Uh, The somewhat encouraging news is that if you look, the deaths over the last several weeks have gone down dramatically. The number of hospitalizations have gone down. And in some areas, the number of new cases have gone down. The only issue that's a bit disturbing is that recently we've seen an upsurge in cases in a number of states that we would have wished would continue to go down, but they've actually turned around and are now going up. So it's still a dynamic situation that we have to take very seriously, which we're doing in the sense of mitigating and trying to contain this. I understand, but... Are you optimistic? I mean, there's is the second wave coming? Is there going to be... I'd be surprised if somebody like you said we're going to get to fewer than 200,000 deaths by the holidays. Do you think that'll happen? You know, it's so dangerous to do predictions because they're based on these models. And the models over the last few months, as you know, have gone all over the place, up, down. First it was 120,000, then it was down to 60, then up to 80. Now we already are at about 115,000. So when you say, am I, am I optimistic? I, I believe if you look at what's being done, 
that we do have uh, the capability now to be able to contain this. We have to do it, though. We can't just think it's going to happen spontaneously. So there's a public health approach and there's the research approach that will lead to countermeasures. So at the same time as our only tool right now is public health measures, the ability to contain it, to be able to mitigate. I mean, we had an unprecedented situation in this country, something we never had to do ever before. And it was not only just us here in the United States, it was every country in the world essentially did that, was to essentially lock down and essentially pull back from physical interaction. That is something that has never been done before, but it has been successful. In fact, there was a recent models that were published literally a day ago that showed that the world's action of shutting down and mitigating, namely locking down in society and not freely going out in physical contact, has saved hundreds of millions of people from getting infected. So in that respect, we've been successful. But then again, if you look at the impact, it has been severe. And that's the reason why we say we need to continue the mitigation efforts. And if we're going to get back to a degree of normality, what we refer to as reopening or opening America again, we've got to do it with care and with attention to the guidelines, which give us the benchmarks about how to open safely. So I appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> I'm a mechanical engineer. I took a lot of algebra. And when you say the models were all over the place, I got to tell you, to me, they weren't all over the place. There was noise. There's uh, ripples. But the overall trend is more and more infections and more and more sickness uh, sure. and more and more trouble. And now I understand that uh, if apparently when you look at New York, New Jersey, the steps that are being taken have been quite effective. But then you got all these states and municipalities and counties that are not, you know, that are not forming, uh, following the guidelines uniformly. And now we have these protests where people are standing shoulder to shoulder and they're screaming, which understand, boy, do I understand. But what do you think? What do you think the chances are of getting everybody on board? Do you think there's a place, a rate of infection that will convince everybody that we've got to do the right thing, especially as the fall comes on with the flu season? So one of the difficulties that you have with uh, this disease, and this is important. In fact, I think this is critical to what you're, what you're saying, what you're trying to say, is that you're really asking how bad does it have to get before everybody pays attention? Isn't that what you're I, saying? I guess so. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, doctor. Okay. So really, the, the problem is that the range of manifestations of disease is something that we've never seen before with any infection. So this virus really is different. It's totally different because what you have is you have the majority of people who get infected either have no symptoms at all or do extremely well. I mean, they say about 25 to 20 to 45 percent of the infections are without symptoms. Then you get people who get mild symptoms that doesn't bother them a lot. Others get symptoms that are somewhat bothersome to keep them at home in bed. 
Some have a few weeks of being immobilized. Others require hospitalization. Others go to hospital and require intensive care. And then there are some that actually die. So you have this unprecedented situation where you can go from nothing at all, no symptoms, to something that can kill you. So when the general public looks at this, they see so many people who do well, they don't get frightened by it. So when you say lockdown, don't do anything because you're going to spread it, they look around and they say, why should I worry about that? I'm young, I'm healthy, that's not going to be a problem. That's the thing that's preventing the uniform adherence to the guidelines that if we had adhered to the guidelines, you would not be seeing the kinds of blips of infections that we're seeing. Uh when you say it's unprecedented, I, uh, you know, as a science educator, have said for many years, the reason we're all here, you and I and everybody is here, is because our ancestors survived the Spanish flu. So, in other words, there's got to be a genetic component to this that manifests itself as the severity of infections, along with personal health habits. First of all, do you agree with me that the genetic component in the lifestyle has got to be affecting this? It, of course. I mean, it, it, it is things that were likely unrecognized. It's the polymorphism or the differences in genetic makeup in, in a general population. Whenever you have a disease, you always see some form of a bell-shaped curve. You have those who get sick and right away get in trouble and die. You get those who get infected and they get no problem. And then you have the median of yeah. people it's a who spectrum. do well. So the, 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 the spectrum, the Spanish flu of 1918, which killed 50 to 100 million people worldwide when the population of the world was about one third of what it is now, there were different degrees of susceptibility. And you're right, it's multifactorial. You have genetic things, you have environmental and you also have the possibility that you have some prior exposure to something that was similar to, but not quite, what you're seeing now. All of those things go together to give the great deal of variability of how someone responds to a new infection. We'll be back right after this. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You are asked, I presume, all day to present information to people. Right. Right. What's your day like? What do you have to do every day? I mean, you have become an international celebrity over this doggone thing, and we all really appreciate it. But what is your day like? What do you have to do during the day? Well, you know, I'm the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is the major research institution responsible for the conduct and support of research on infectious diseases. So I'm actually doing two jobs simultaneously. My job is the director of this institute, and my job as a member of the coronavirus task force at the White House. So my day generally starts off very early getting up and I get, you know, ridiculous before this. I used, <laughs> I used to get, you know, a hundred emails a day. I get a thousand emails a day now. So I get wake up in the morning, I come in and I do the, the business of the Institute, which is trying to develop interventions, vaccines, diagnostics, therapeutics. It's a large institute. It's almost $6 billion institute. We have a lot of employees, so I run a large institute. Somewhere around the middle of the day, with the exception of today, this is unusual, I'm down at the White House with the, with the coronavirus task force and all of the activities that we do. We finish in the late afternoon, early evening, 6, 6.37. I go home and then I have to read volumes and volumes of things, keeping up with the trend of the outbreak, what the pattern is, where it's going, so that the next day you can start all over again. So it's become almost untenable. It's, it's an 18, 19-hour day. Starts very early and ends very late. So do you feel you're being effective? I believe so. I mean, I, I, again, you as I get back to what I said originally, uh, uh, Bill, we, we, we have a an unprecedented situation that we've never had to literally address before in, in our generation. Certainly, uh, I'm sure that the people who had to address the 1918 pandemic flu were in somewhat of a similar situation. We have more interventions now. But a situation is such that we, we, we have tools to address it. Some of them are public health tools like the mitigation that I mentioned. You know, there are two approaches to this. One is containment. When you have a small amount of infection, you could do identification, isolation, contact tracing to try and suppress these blips of infection from becoming surges and, and waves of infection. That's the public health approach. Then you have the scientific approach when you try and develop a vaccine or a therapeutic or a better diagnostic. Those two things coming together is how you address this. I think. What we, do you think the chances? What are the chances of a, of a vaccine? Oh, I think they're good, Bill. I mean, I, I do because, I mean, the body makes a pretty good immune response against natural infection with other coronaviruses, the common cold coronaviruses. We've had SARS, 
We've had mares. SARS was the severe acute respiratory syndrome. Yeah. And you've been there for all of them, I've right? been th- I've been there for all of them. So we have some precedent and experience. Right now, we have rapidly gone into the development and testing of a vaccine more expeditiously than we have ever done with any vaccine in the history of vaccinology. We got the sequence of the virus on January the 10th after it was recognized at the end of December as a new disease. We took that sequence and we used the sequence to pull out the gene to code for a protein to make a vaccine, which we started four days later. And 65 days later, we went into a clinical trial of phase one. And by the beginning of July, we're going to do an advanced efficacy trial that hopefully will have an answer by the end of the year. That is very quick. And so you learn from this one. You learn from this uh, infection, this uh, virus already. You, you know, Bill, you, you learn not only from this, but you learn from things that happened before, which informed you to better respond to this. And we will get through this. This will end. And what we've learned from this will help us to prepare for the next inevitable outbreak. Because sure as you and I are talking to each other, there will be other outbreaks of pandemic-like pathogens. For sure, it may not be next year, it may not be five years from now, but there will be other outbreaks. So two things. First of all, are masks effective? The answer is they are not 100% effective, but the direct answer to your question is they are effective and they are worth wearing and you should wear one when you are out in the public because the most important thing is physical separation stay six feet or more away. But practically, you know that you can't always do that. And that's the reason why it's important to wear a mask. It's just common sense, everyone. When you just look at people, if you have a mask on, you're much less likely to broadcast particles toward them for crying out loud. There you go, Bill. I'm glad you said that because it's very true. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just, this this is not rocket surgery. This has got to be figure outable. Now, along this line... Do you have a best case scenario? Yeah. And and how is it, you've worked for six presidents, right? right? Yes. How is it working with, with this administration? You know, it's different. Every administration is different. I've worked, as you know, I started off with Ronald Reagan, went to George H.W. Bush, then Clinton, George W. Bush, Obama, and now Trump. They're each different. They each have their own style. They each have their different ideas. They each do things differently. So, I mean, all I can say is it's different than previous ones, but each were different from each other. So if you were king of the forest, if you were really in charge, what would you tell people? Is there a thing or a group of things, a list of short list of things you'd tell people? You know, actually, I'd be telling people, and I don't necessarily need to be the king of anything, is that I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, scientist, I'm a physician, and I'm a public health official. And what I do is I tell people the things that I believe they need to know based on facts and based on evidence. And a lot of it you and I are discussing already. I mean, the idea about how you go about addressing an outbreak. And we put guidelines in, and if the guidelines are listened to, even though this is a formidable foe, this virus, I think we're going to be able to contain it. You asked me what the best case scenario would be, the best case scenario in my mind 
would be to contain this by public health measures to the best of our ability until we get a vaccine and when we get a safe and effective vaccine to essentially put the nail in the coffin of this outbreak. And distribute the vaccine oh, of to course. millions of people. Of course. You know, it's a course. big manufacturing challenge. So are you optimistic about the future? I am. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, but this is a serious problem which we're facing. But given the effort that's put into the public health endeavor, and the effort and the resources that are being put into the development of countermeasures, such as therapies and vaccines, I am, Bill, cautiously optimistic, yes. Are you bracing, though, for the worst case scenario? Spanish flu in the U.S. killed, it's estimated, almost 700,000 people, 675,000 people. Are you all taking steps to address a worst case scenario? Of course, that's exactly what we're doing. That's the reason why we're doing the things like putting in place the systems to do the kind of containment and the kind of mitigation, and importantly, to develop countermeasures. And I emphasize particularly the importance of what a vaccine would mean for our ability to contain this. What is it that people don't understand about COVID-19, about this virus? Well, I, I think some people understand a lot about it, but what I think what some people don't understand because of the range of the manifestations, they don't fully appreciate how serious it can be, particularly if you're someone who is vulnerable to the complications, namely those who are senior citizens, those who have underlying conditions such as hypertension, diabetes, obesity. Uh, it, is, it can be misleading, Bill, because so many people are not impacted by it that it gives you a false complacency and you forget that there are people who have these underlying comorbidities that make them highly susceptible to complications. So it's kind of confusing. If it was unidimensional and everybody who got infected had the same degree of illness, people would totally understand it. But when you have such a wide range of manifestations, people get confused about how serious it really is or not. So is the flu more of a unidimensional disease? Uh, no, the flu is, 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 is an uh, infection where there are very, very few situations where you can be completely without symptoms and have the flu. When you have the flu, you generally, most people who get the flu, don't like it because it doesn't feel good. You feel like you got hit by a truck. You're achy, you have febrile, you start coughing. A very, very small percentage of people, less than 0.1%, go on to die from the flu. But for the most part, people generally have the same sort of illness with varying degrees of severity. You don't have that wide range of going from no symptoms to death as we have with, co with the COVID-19. Dr. Fauci, I hear it in your voice. You're working extremely hard, sir, and we all very, very much appreciate it. You have a good day out there and, and change the world. We'll try, Bill. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Our guest today has been Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is taking a brief break while we start recording brand new episodes of the regular versions of Science Rules. 
We have a lot of great guests already, and this season we'll be relying on your voicemails. So call in, give us your questions, and here are some of our upcoming fantastic guests. Eric Jarvis is an expert on speech and language. He really is a fascinating guy. Randall Monroe, the man behind the XKCD cartoon on scientific what-ifs and how-tos. He is quite a guy. I've spent time with him. Chris Morgan on wildlife conservation, an issue that affects everybody no matter where you are. Wildlife affect you. Angela Duckworth on grit and the psychology of success. She is fantastic. So leave us a voicemail. Ask us your questions. The number is 201-472-0785. That's 201-472-0785. You can also write in to askbillnye.com. And I myself am Bill Nye. And my friends, we are living through a pandemic. This is worldwide. We are all in this together. And now more than ever, science rules. And if you like Science Rules, Coronavirus Edition, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps us learn what people want to hear about, helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Science Rules, Coronavirus Edition is a production of Witness Docs from Stitcher. The show is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. Our editor today is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is once again Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Peter Clowney is our executive producer. Special thanks again to Casey Halford. Chris Bannon is the CCO, the chief content officer here at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, now more than ever, Science Rules. Three more things, people. Contact tracing. Wear a mask, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Thanks for listening. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.